You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. Okay. Okay, so so we're going to start today. We're going to start today what we're going to talk about as we're unfortunately already into the third week of the war that's going on in Israel. And these days that continue to get pass are the more longer it stretches, the more complicated it becomes. And the questions and the ideas that come up are life and death life and death matters that when it comes to deciding of how the war should proceed and what they should do. We are not defense ministers, we are not the the cabinet of Israel, we are not the generals in the army, and therefore we hope and pray that God gives them the right intuition that they should be able to make the right decisions to be able to save those that are captive and to be able to bring, finally, terror to its, destroy it and eradicate it completely and bring safety and security to the people in Israel. And therefore, as what we could do, however, is we could study Torah, which we know that the study of Torah protects the Jewish people. And that's why today, what we are doing is studying Torah and let our class today be in their honor and their merit and that God should give them that blessing that they should be able to continue to eradicate the enemy, bring the people home safely, and everything that needs to be done. However, we can also learn from the stories of the Torah and apply them to the contemporary application to the, to the situation that's happening now in our time. And therefore, we're going to talk about today one of the interesting episodes in the lifetime of our forefather Abraham, which is discussed in this week's Torah reading, that happens to be about the first Jewish hostage. And... We see this entire chapter in this week's Torah reading is dedicated to this story. A story of a wonder, of a miraculous event that happened in the life of Avraham. But if somebody looks at the story just from the outset without seeing what's going on in the general life and purpose of Avraham, one can ask and say, why was this even necessary? Why did Avraham have to get involved? What was he doing? What was the purpose of it? How does this work in with the lifestyle of who Avram was? And what is the story that we're talking about is the first war that the Jewish people had as a nation because Abraham was the first Jew. So it's the first, historically, it's the first war that the Jewish people had. And what was the war as to release a captive, to release a hostage? And unfortunately, this is the same situation that we're dealing with today. Today, when over 200 Jews, men, women, and children are unfortunately behind enemy lines and are held captive by the most barbaric, savage individuals and in trying to hurt the Jewish people any way possible. And our question that we're going to look at today is, what was Avram thinking when he decided to go into war? Why did Avram see that he was able to accomplish and win the war? Did he think so even? Is a Jew allowed to go into and put himself into danger 
when he realizes that according to Jewish law, it says, one is not allowed to put your life into danger for no reason, especially if he knows that it's probably suicidal for him to do that. Why did Avram do it then? And as we're going to elaborate at length, we are not going to talk about today the laws and the legalities, if you're allowed to kill in order to save another person's life and so on, about the hostages, should you take them, how should you do them and out, as we mentioned, we are not here to discuss military tactics, we are not the generals or the uh, ministry, of, ministry of Defense, we are only here to study Torah and to be able to glean from the story of the Torah and understand and appreciate how this can apply in our contemporary life as people studying the Torah and doing what we can for this people of Israel. So let's understand what's going on over here with Avram. This is not the first time that Avram is going out to help people. And we know that Avram was a person who helped many people. But who is Avram helping here? Let's look at the story, the rationale. We're going to get to it in total, uh, just overall what's happening here. Avram's going out of his way, putting his life in danger, not only to help an individual, but to help seemingly a traitor, as we'll soon see. A person who let go of the ways of that Abraham taught him, went to a, a fraternize with the people of Sodom, a city which, as we're going to read about next week's Torah reading, gets completely obliterated for their conduct, which is beyond comprehension of what kind of conduct they had. And what is Avram doing? He goes and puts his life in danger to save somebody from Sodom. What was Avram thinking? Why did Avram do this? And what we're going to learn and look at is realize that Avram's war that he took and the reason why he took, upon this, why he took upon himself this war must be that this was part of who Avram was and his personification, his personality that brought him to understand and appreciate that this is the purpose and this is what he has to do. So let's understand what's going on here. So let's take into perspective what's happening here and let's see and let's look at the story a little bit deeper. Who was the one that came that told Avram that his nephew, Lot, was captured? A fellow by the name of Og. Og was a giant. He was the only one that was saved from the flood. In fact, the Torah calls him Hapolit, the one that was saved. He was the only one that was saved from the flood. And he was hanging, according to some, he was hanging on the side of the, um, on the, side of the ark. Others say he was saved from the uh, war that the other great kings of the time tried to wipe out all the giants, and he was the only giant that was saved. And Steve, go get. And the, and uh, and this fellow and this fellow Og traverses many different cities and towns and countries until he comes until he see, until he comes along to Avram to tell Avram that Lot was captured. Why does he have to tell Avram that Lot was captured? So the commentaries say something very interesting here. That one of the reasons why he wanted to tell Avram that Lot was captured, because Lot wanted to marry Sarah. And he knew that if Abraham was going to go and fight the, these kings, Abraham was going to be killed. It was probable that Abraham was going to be killed. Not only probable, but probably almost certain that Abraham was going to be killed. Therefore, he was hoping Abraham was going to be killed. And this way he would be able to marry Sarah. That was his whole intention. So he went traveling over different countries, going across the other side, across the Jordan, all the way to Hebron, to find Abraham, to tell him that Lot was captured. This way, Abraham's going to go crazy, go all the way to fight the kings, he'll get killed, and he'll be able to marry, he'll be able to marry Sarah. So we see, number one, 
that knowing that this mission was going to be suicidal, everybody knew if Abraham's going to fight with these kings, he's going to die. As we see, O counted on it. This way he was going to be able to marry Sarah. Number two, Abraham himself thought it was suicidal. Abraham himself was worried about the fact that he even called his Bezri that God should be my salvation. And he took Eliezer and therefore he gave the name Eliezer that God should help him because he didn't think he was going to make it. In fact, when he took the people that he helped, he took 350 people with him that he would help him. Um, sorry, 318 people that were going to help him. And he says, what did he do? He helped him. He said that all of a sudden his face changed colors. He said, I'm going to go and give myself for God, sanctify my name for God. Why? Because when somebody is kidnapped, I have to get back what was stolen from them. This is a mere sanctification of God's name. Even Abraham later on in front when he comes to God and he thanks God for saving him. He tells God, I am but earth and ashes because really I should have been killed by those kings. It was a miraculous event, the fact that I survived. That means Abraham himself knew that he wasn't going to survive. Abraham knew that this was suicidal. The people knew it was suicidal. For example, Oak went and told him that, Sarah, that the Lord's captured, therefore you can marry Sarah. But still in all, the question is, how does Abraham put himself in a situation that he should be able to go and put himself in a suicide mission? What was the rationale behind it? Even when it comes to a war that God puts us and tells us that we have to fight, there has to be a legitimacy, there has to be a certain rationale that you're going with. For example, Gidon, when God told him to wage war against the Moabites then of his time and the Ammonites, before he went, he wanted to see that he was going to win. And miraculous events happened that a sacrifice came down and that he put a piece of wool to see which one would become dry and wet. And he did all these, so to speak, tests to see if God was really on his side. If Abraham knew that a miracle had to happen for him to win, fine. But let him at least have some type of proof that he was going to make it. He didn't even make any type of calculation. Am I going to win? Am I not going to win? Okay, he's captured. I'm running. I'm doing. Where are you going? What are you doing? How are you going to make it? Looks like just a suicide mission jumping into what? Abraham didn't ask any signs that he's going to be victorious. He wasn't looking for any miracles. He didn't even think he's going to come back alive. He just takes his 318 men. What's the rationale here? So what we're going to do today is give one answer, a simple answer, and then we'll take the Hasidic perspective, which gives us not only a perspective and an answer to the question, but also a contemporary application and a lesson that we can learn for today's day and age in the challenges that we're going through now, but as well as we in our own personal life. And the answer that we look at, which basically sums it up, is that Abraham realized that there's no other option. Abraham realized that part of who I am means that I have to step up to the plate, even if there is no other option. Abraham did not take any logical things into, into the equation here. He felt from the depth of his heart that this is what I need to do. If, because if I don't do this, then it's over. I have to do this. There's no other option. And if I don't go and redeem Lot and release Lot from being in captivity, what am I? Who am I? What am I needed for? I'm no longer Abraham. I'm not a person. What does this tell us? 
Abraham realized and Abraham taught us, and every person sees this. When a person realizes that there is no other option, everything becomes an option. What that means is, Abraham taught us that there are certain wars you cannot use logic for it. There are certain wars that you need to be able to go forward, step forward, show you're interested, recognize and put yourself on the line, and everything will work out, and then you just got to do what you got to do. We need to know that there are certain times, as we spoke about in the Torah reading of Noah, then why did God bring the flood and destroy all of humanity and not give them a chance to repent, even though He did give them a chance to repent, but didn't just single out which ones? Because there are certain times you just got to go and eradicate the evil without any logic. Certain times logic doesn't play a place. You cannot have a certain war with certain tools and measurements and being sophisticated to be able to understand this, yeah, this, not. Sometimes when there's a lack of option, you need to show that you're boss and you're going to go all the way until the end, until victory is clear and definitive. We're not talking about what should be done, what's more important to release captives or not. That's not what our discussion is. Our discussion today is that when it comes to a situation where victory is necessary, you need to put out all options on the table and to be able to go all out, even beyond logic. And that's what Avram taught us. That it's not the logic that wins the war. It's the, it's the, ra- the rationale or the recognition of recognizing that this is the importance of what has to be done. And then everything becomes relative. Everything becomes part of it. As we'll soon see. So let's go back a little bit and understand what's happening and let's understand the story a little better. And once we get the background of the story, then we'll be able to realize what Avram was doing over here and what happened here. So let's start with the beginning. Who happened here? Avram and his family leave the city of Haran. They travel from where their parents were from. And one of the people that are a tag-along together with Avram is a fellow by the name of Lot. Who is Lot? As we'll soon get to in a moment. Lot was a nephew of Avram and happened to be the brother of Sarah. So it was Avram's brother-in-law and nephew. The name Lot, just as a little uh, sidebar, the word Lot can have three different meanings. And this is important, we'll get to it soon. The word Lot can mean either Lot as a covering, for example, we find in the book of Ruth, when she was looking to something to cover herself with a blanket, it says it's a lot. Another word for lot can also come from the word in Aramaic, layet, like a curse, as something bad. As as well, the word lot comes from, as we see, when Joseph was taken to uh, Egypt, and it says, what were they carrying? They were carrying which is a type of incense, a type of spice that smells very good. So over here you have three meanings to what the Lot, word Lot can mean. As we see as well as this individual, his name was Lot. So this fellow Lot, the nephew of Avram, the brother of Sarah, he, his name was Lot, and he was now, this fellow Lot, was the sidekick, traveled along together with Avram and Sarah. Now why did he travel along together with them? So let's look back in last week's Torah reading. At the end of last week's Torah reading it tells us that there was a fellow by the name of Haran, who died with, by his father Terach. And the Talmud asks, why does it blame Terach for his son's death? And the Talmud explains the following episode. Abraham was on a mission to teach monotheism to the world. His father Terach was not, let's say, was not necessarily keen of what his son Abraham was doing. 
For the very fact that his father, Terach, was a minister by the king of the ruler of the universe at the time, which was Nimrod. Nimrod was not a believer in God, or monotheism, he believes he was the God, and therefore he felt that Abraham was rebelling against him. And therefore he wanted to kill Abraham. Abraham stood up against him, and they took Abraham and they said, Abraham, if you really believe in God and monotheism, then we're going to throw you into the fire. And if God really believes that you are the one, that you're right, let him save you. Now Abraham had a younger brother by the name of Haran. Haran was also on the fence. He wasn't sure. Should I believe in Abraham? Should I believe in uh, Nimrod? Which one is right? And he says, if Abraham believe, is right, if Abraham survives, then guess what? Then I'll, then I'll follow Abraham. If Abram doesn't survive, then I'll follow Nimrod. Okay, fine. What happens? Abraham survives. So Haran says, I'm Abraham's guy. But why did Haran only believe in it? Only because he was on the fence. So what they saw that Haran also believed with Abraham, so Nimrod took Haran and threw him into the fire as well. But because Haran's belief in God wasn't so complete, he didn't survive the fire. So what we see over here, the Talmud tells us that Haran died with his father Terach, meaning that Haran's belief in God was a shaky one like his father Terach, and therefore he didn't survive. Now, Abraham felt a certain responsibility for Lot, because his father died, because seemingly his father believed in what Abraham believed in. So Abraham felt that because Haran, so to speak, gave his life to propagate and to continue what Abraham believed in, so therefore Abraham took Lot her and son under his wings and wherever they traveled they went together with them so wherever they left they left Haran Lot came together with them wherever they traveled Lot was with them now what happens is as we read in this week's Torah reading Abraham and Sarah have to travel down to Egypt because there's a hunger in the land of Israel in the land of Canaan who travels with them Lot when Lot comes with them to the land of Egypt after they leave the land of Egypt what happens Abraham and Sarah become very wealthy. What happens to Lot? He also gets some of that wealth. But on the way back, all of a sudden a fight ensues between Abraham's shepherds and Lot's shepherds. The fight was about that Lot's shepherds would allow their sheep to go unmuzzled, while Abraham's shepherds did not allow his sheep to go unmuzzled. The rationale was, Abraham said, the fields don't belong to us, we can allow our sheep to go pasture in other people's ground. Lot said, well, the land of Canaan is going to be given to Abraham anyway, so everything belongs to us. So why should I muzzle my sheep? But Abraham's shepherd said, it's not yet given to us, therefore you have to muzzle your sheep. Now, one of the problems was that Abraham and Lot looked very much alike. So when they saw the sheep of Lot pasturing in other people's property, people would say, look, Abraham's sheep are stealing, are taking our things, which was causing a desecration of God's name. And because of that, Abraham came to Lot and said, listen here, we can't travel together. You're ruining my name. You're desecrating God's name. You pick one way, and I'll go the other way. If you go right, I'll go left. You go left, I go right. Pick where you want to go. And Lot looked around, and he said, where am I going to go? And out of all the places he picked, he picked Sodom. Sodom, which was the antithesis of what Abraham was all about. What was Sodom? Let's take an example of why he picked Sodom. Because Sodom was one of the wealthiest places. They had a lot of natural resources. And one of, the people in, one of the things about the people in Sodom was because they had so many natural resources, they were very afraid that um, people would come steal from them. And they didn't want everybody to snore from them, whatever to take from them. 
So what they did was, any person who would give charity, they would ban them, they would punish them, as we discussed at length. What would happen was, and they did terrible things, they were a city of atrocities of the worst kind. And what does Lot do? The nephew of Avram, the brother-in-law of Avram, and moves to a place which is the exact opposite of what Avram stood for. Welcoming, charitable, being nice, you have, give. And that's where he picks to go. So what happens? Years pass, and there was many different countries and many different kingdoms that were living in that area. Moab and Edom were under a certain type of uh, rulership at the time, which was Babylonia, Turkey, Syria, whatever it was at the time at the other side of the Jordan. And there was business first together, and they were working together, but eventually they decided they don't want to be under each other's rulership. And five kings decided for 12 years they worked, but then finally in the 13th year they said, that's it, we're enough, and they started rebelling against the four kings. The four kings came out to fight the five kings, and wiped out, wiped clean those five kings, knocked them out, killed them all, and took their kings and all their leaders as captives, as hostages. Who was one of the leaders of the people of Sodom, which was one of the five kings that went out to war, was a fellow by the name of Lot, Avram's nephew. He was a leader in the people of Sodom. Now, he was a leader in the people of Sodom, so because of that, he was taken hostage. Once he's taken hostage, we go back to our story, where Og, the giant, comes and tells Avram, that your nephew was taken hostage, and Avram decides that he's going to fight these four kings. Now these four kings already have one war over the five kings. They are known as powerful, strong kings. And over here Avram decides, in the middle of the night, I'm taking 318 people, and I'm going to go wage war against four kings. The superpowers of the world. That's who he was fighting against. What was Avram thinking? What was he thinking? Even if he wanted to go save Lot, did he even think logically that he could save him? What was his plan of action? How did he think he was even going to save him? If you want to say he put himself in danger because he had a plan that he was going to be able to save him, fine. But how is he going to get this hostage free? So there is a safer, there's a holy book written by a fellow from the 1800s, Rabbi Yosef C. Salant. He asks this question and he gives the answer and he says that Abraham promised Lot. When Lot will go to the right and go to the left, he promised him that as far as you go, I'll always be there to protect you. And as we know, our forefathers were very committed to the words that they said. Saying their words didn't just mean, didn't just mean saying words, but they wanted to keep to everything they said. And honesty and integrity was something integral to who they were. And if Abraham gave his word to Lot that he committed, that he was going to be there to protect him through thick and thin, it didn't make a difference what was going to happen. He was going to go and protect and see what he can do to save Lot. He has to know that he put his all out there to be able to save him. We see this even later on. Jacob, who was a grandson of Avram, when Rachel, who was supposed to be married him and he was working for Rachel for seven years and then love and tricks him and gives him Leah, he goes and marries Rachel even though it's against the Torah to marry two sisters and he put his stringencies on the side just to keep his word because he promised he was going to keep, uh, that he was going to marry Rachel. To the extent he even attacks his father-in-law Lovin and says, Sonny, why did you cheat me? What kind of person are you that doesn't keep to your word? That means even Noahites at the time understood that there's a value in keeping to what we say. So for this reason as well, brings us back 
to the idea that Abraham wanted to keep to his word. And because he wanted to keep to his word, therefore he recognized that this is what I have to do to be able to release Lot from being a hostage. Which gives us the understanding that at that time it was all an obligation for a Noahite to be able to keep to his word was something of fundamental for them. So that's the simple explanation of why Avram went beyond his logic. But now we can go a little further. And look a little further, an answer that we can see very clearly, especially in today's day and age. And then an answer that became clear through the grandchildren of Abraham, through the soldiers and the heroes of today's day and age. In today's day and age, and just recently in the last three weeks, there's been heroes that taught us that are ones living Abraham's life to the fullest and going in the values and the teachings of what Avram showed us. Just two weeks ago, three, three weeks ago already, on Simchas Torah, when the, when the terrible massacre happened, there was a fellow by the name of Elchanan Kalmanson. Elchanan Kalmanson was the son of Rabbi Benny Kalmanson, the, ra- the head of the yeshiva of Asniel. And he heard Simchas Torah afternoon about what was going on in Gaza. He quickly took his gun, his uh, machine gun, and he took his brother and his nephew, and together they took, they went, and they went to Kibbutz Beiri to go and save people there. They were going from house to house, under fire, fighting against the terrorists. At the time, for 14 hours, they were going constantly saving people house to house, all night until the next morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, as they feel wiped out, they're about to go into the last house. But there they were ambushed by a terrorist and Elchanan was shot and killed, saving Jewish lives. What gave him the impetus? What gave him the power? What gave him the adrenaline, the strength to run into fire and save Jewish people? psychologists, therapists, and psychiatrists for the next hundred years are going to discuss it. But one thing we know. Look back 50 years ago. A similar story happened. A story that I actually said on Yom Kippur about Yov Yakir, who had six tanks against 18 tanks and hundreds of Syrian ammunition coming at him. Just went and attacked the enemy at on. What was he thinking? What did he? What was he thinking? As his uh, assistant uh, tankist said at the time, Yoav knew there's no other option. This is who we are, or there goes the country. The same thing is also this Alchanan we can say. He recognized that there is no other option. Where do they get this inherent love for the land of Israel for another Jew? Where do they have this inherent intuition of recognizing that if there's no other option, we just got to go for it, regardless of what it takes? That's what Abraham was doing. The first person to teach us this role model, that there is no other option. We just got to do what we got to do to save those hostages. This is what Avram said. He's my my brother-in-law. He's my nephew. I need to save him. 
I, there's no, what am I going to do? It's four kings. They killed five kings. They're superpowers. I don't care. There is no other option. I'm going to go in and do it. Whatever happens, happens. Abraham looked at himself as a servant of the community, as a person who was there to save and to be there and to save what's going to happen. You know, there's two types of people that are givers. There are two types of people that are helpers. You have a person that's generous. Why is they generous? Why are they helping people? Because they have a lot. They're multimillionaire. For him to give hundreds of dollars and millions of dollars to charity, no big deal. Because God gave him a lot. He recognizes the blessing that God gave them. And therefore they're generous. And they help. And they give. And so on. That means because of their greatness, therefore they give. Then there are people that because of their smallness, because of their humility, they give. What does this mean? A person who recognizes and says, you know what, what else am I here for? I'm not anything of great. I'm no special person. I am only here to help other people. What am I? I am nothing. I am only a conduit of bringing God's blessing to people. It's a question if you do it out of ego or out of humility. What's the difference? If I do it because I have a lot... So the moment I don't have a lot, I don't give anymore. But if I do it out of humility, it doesn't make a difference how much I have. I can have nothing, but still realize I can help somebody else. I don't need to be a millionaire to help another person. I can be a simple person, even a poor pauper, and I can help somebody cross the street. I can smile to a person. I can give a compliment. I can do a lot of things. I can still help and still be a giver. When we do things, when we do it out of humility... We do it even if it's going to cost our life. What does that mean? Because if you realize that I'm merely a conduit, so then, okay, if I can do it, I got to do it. Who says I can't? I only know if I can't, only if I don't. Three times, Abraham put his life on the line to be able to save another individual. The first one is here in this week's Torah reading. When he goes and he takes and he goes to fight the four kings to be able to save Lot. Next week, he talks to God and says, God, save the people of Sodom. Why save the people of Sodom? Who are they? Terrible people. And then again, he tells God, one second, I have three guests over here who look like Arabs, but I need to go feed them. Putting a spiritual life on the side. You're talking to Almighty God. No, but it has to help another person. What gave him that capability? What gave him that umph, that impetus to be able to stand up and to be able to give, put his life on the line for a moment and say, spiritual life and physical life, to help another person. Because what Abraham looked at was, I am only here to help another person. And if I can't help them, then what is my purpose? Abraham was a person who understood he wasn't looking to die, God forbid, but he had no other option. He says, my purpose in life is to save Lot. And if I can't save him, then why am I alive? So either I'm alive and I have to save him. So what am I going to be? Alive and not save him? So then why am I alive? There's no other option. In the words of Maimonides, when it comes to saving a life, especially a person who's a captive, there's no greater mitzvah than it. And therefore a person, it says, you hear your brother's blood calling, screaming, you need to do what you can to save them. And even though Lot was evil, Lot was a person who went to Sodom, 
Avram went to save his life. Avram gave his life, risked his life to save Lot. And you know what that did? That actually had an impact on Lot. And that changed who Lot was. Because if you're going to read the next week's Torah reading, when the angels came to destroy Sodom, what did Lot do? Risked his life to bring them into his house. He learned, ah, this is a unique individual. I went off the wrong way. Let me learn from Avram and be hospitable and generous. Not from the people of Sodom who are evil. Because when we put our life to help another person, when we recognize that we are only here for helping another person, automatically we make an impact on the people we help. This is what we also understand. When God, when Abraham comes to God and tells God, All I am is but dust and ashes. And the Talmud says that in the merit of saying those words, dust and ashes, his children, the Jewish people, merited to two mitzvahs. The mitzvah of Afar, which is the mitzvah of the Parah, Duma, the red heifer, and the mitzvah of Sota, of the, of the dirt, of using the Sota, of mixing the earth for the sprinkling of when a woman who is a, accused of being, uh, a, a, accused of not being faithful to her husband. What's, and the question that is asked, why these two mitzvahs? Just because he said, I'm dust and ashes, therefore he got these two mitzvahs. What do these two mitzvahs have to do with anything else? Why not tefillin and fitzes? Why not sefer Torah, kosher? Why? A red heifer and sota. What is the two combination? And the Zohar explains and says, what did Avram do over here? Avram showed, Avram was able to demonstrate the fact that he was able to give everything up of himself, just to be there for another person. These two mitzvahs are exactly that. Because when a Kohen purifies somebody with the blood of the red heifer, what's he doing? He himself becomes impure. That means he's willing to become impure just to purify somebody else. The same idea is also with the ash of a sota. God says, let my name be erased in order to bring peace amongst the husband and wife. Giving something up in order to help somebody else. This is exactly what Abraham brought to the world. Abraham brought to the world that I have to, in order to save somebody else, at times, I also have to put myself aside. It's not only when it's good for me can I help somebody, but even when it hurts, even when I have to risk my life, even when it's uncomfortable, I have to help somebody. Because or else, what am I here for? Even more so, we see this even later, when Yehuda approaches Joseph, when the brothers, and he's taken Benjamin and he stands up to save Benjamin. Yehuda learned from Abraham. How did Yehuda stand up to the superpower of the world, which was Joseph, and say, give me my brother or else I'll take you to war? You know who you're fighting against? Pharaoh and Joseph were the superpower. Egypt was the superpower of the world. But what did Yehuda realize? That when it comes to saving a Jew, there is no option. There is no other option other than saving that person. All logic goes to the side. We need to put everything aside to be able to save another Jew. What does this take us to? This brings us to another understanding and appreciation, to for especially for the times that we're in. You know, many people, and if you look at all these nonsense that's going on in all the media, one of the first things that the media is always challenging the land of Israel with 
is what about the innocent civilians? What about the innocent civilians? And always the question comes up, what about the innocent civilians? So besides for, technically speaking, you know, when London uh, bombed Dresden, they didn't ask about innocent civilians. And when America bombed Hiroshima, they didn't ask about innocent civilians. Israel's the only country in the world that drops leaflets to be able to say, okay, get out of there, innocent civilians, if there are any innocent civilians. That's number one. But besides that, the question is, are there any innocent civilians? You know, when Shimon and Levi destroyed the city of Shechem, Jacob was upset about them. Why did you kill innocent civilians? People of Shechem, Shechem won't rape Tudina, but what about everybody else? And what did Shimon and Levi said? According to Jewish law, according to the Noahide law, if you're an accessory to a crime, you are just as guilty. And the people of Shechem were an accessory to a crime. They were happy with what Shechem was going to do, and therefore they were just guilty. The very fact that the Israeli Defense Force tells these people, leave your homes, evacuate, or you are an accessory to a crime. Leave your homes or else we'll bomb the place or else you become an accessory to Hamas. The very fact that they allow the Hamas to use their schools and their church and then their mosques and their hospitals to blow whistles, they no longer become innocent civilians. They are now accessories. They are accomplices. That's beyond that, but even more so. When we talk about a time, as we mentioned in the Torah reading of Noah, when God destroyed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, why did God eradicate and totally obliterate the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? Because when we talk about evil has to be uprooted at its core. There is no coming back. There is no repentance when it comes to such atrocities. When people, or if you want to call them, when, when individuals can do such terrible atrocities, there is no such thing as making peace or negotiating. They have to be uprooted, eradicated, completely and obliterated. Just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, as we see, no, there's no, all the other legitimate rules don't other apply. There is no other option. This is what Abraham taught us. There is no other option when it comes to evil at its core. Evil at its core has to be uprooted, that the people of Israel and the Jewish people should know that they can sit safely in their land. Because as long as we don't eradicate it completely, Take it as a few months, a few years, it'll pop up again, as we've seen, unfortunately, in the past. So that's what we know has to happen in Israel. But what about us? Let's look at the Torah reading again. Before Abraham goes to war against these four kings, when there's no other option, what does he do? The, the Torah says, Vayorek es And he took the people he educated... He armed the people he educated, but it uses a terminology, chanichov, comes from the word chinuch, education. Why doesn't he say he took his soldiers? And the Talmud exclaims, explains that before Abraham went to war, the first thing he did was he studied Torah. And only after he studied Torah to all his own men, only then did he go to war. When Joshua fought, waged war against Jericho, the angel came and asked him, why didn't you study Torah first? And therefore, when it came to Ai, and he was taking on the next city, before he took on the city, he first studied Torah. What is this telling us? What's the connection here? If there's a war, how do I sit down and study Torah? It's because there are two types of arms that we use when it comes, two types of ammunition that we use when it comes to war. There's an ammunition that the soldiers in the front have to use. That can be guns, ballistic missiles, lasers, all the different technology that exists out there. 
But the only way those missiles work is if our ammunition in our front, in the yeshivas, in the schools, and us as individuals are studying Torah. We need to be able to increase in the study of Torah, in our ammunition. When we increase in our ammunition in the study of Torah, that helps those Israeli soldiers in the front, that helps the captives be returned, that helps the hostages stay safe. As we see in the word, going back to what we mentioned before, the word lot. The word lot has three interpretations. It also has a beautiful smell. It means curse, it means cover, but it also has a beautiful smell. Why? The Shalah explains the great Kabbalist of the 16th century, Rabbi Shaya Levi Horowitz tells us. Why did Abraham go save Lot? What was the problem? So Lot was a captive, a hostage. He was people of Sodom. Why does he have to save him? Why is there no other option? What's the big deal? Because who is Lot's children? Amun Amoav. Who is Amun Amoav? Who is Moabite? The great, the, who is his great-granddaughter? Ruth. Who's Ruth's great-grandson? King David. Who's King David's grandson? Moshiach. Abraham realized that this is not a war against just Lot. Lot is not only the one that's captive here. He has to go and save because of years the spark of Moshiach. When he goes out to war, he is saving, he's bringing about the coming of Moshiach. And therefore, when it comes to bringing Moshiach, there is no other options. We too have to realize that when we study Torah, we are studying Torah for the protection of the people of the land of Israel. We are, but it's not only the protection of the people of the land of Israel. It is protection of every single Jew wherever they are in the universe. Because we know when the Jews of Israel are hit, every Jew is being hit. As we see unfortunately clearly. They don't only want to kill the Jews in Israel. And therefore what we need to do is we need to protect ourselves by the study of Torah. And when we study Torah, we bring about the greatest salvation because who are we saving here? Lot. The beauty. The beauty that we're talking about over here, the lot, the smelling incense, is the coming of Moshiach. Through our study of Torah, we then bring about a study of Torah which comes to the bringing of Moshiach. And God willing, very soon, we'll be able to see all those hostages back. And they'll be able to live long, happy, healthy years. And we'll see all the great holy sparks that are elevated because of this unfortunate war, but it will bring about already the great revelation of the coming of Mashiach. We won't need any more wars. We'll be able to put away all ammunition. And the only ammunition we will use is the study of Torah. May be now. Amen.